This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're so glad you're here and with us again this week. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome. Um, before we get started into this week's episode, just a couple of quick shout outs. We wanted to say welcome and thank you to Danielle for joining our Patreon group at the coroner's level. So thank you so much, Danielle. Yay. And we're so happy to have you with us. And a welcome and thank you to McKenna for joining the Patreon group at the forensic specialist level. McKenna, you rock. Thank you so much. We're so excited to have you and can't wait to see you in the book club. Speaking of the book club, we did announce the February book. So if you're interested in reading alongside us, the book we're going to be reading for February is called The Babysitter, and it is by Liza Rodman and Jennifer Jordan. So go ahead and get that and read alongside us. And if you want to join us over at the Patreon group for a more exclusive, interactive book club experience, we are happy to have you. So come and join us. But let's get to it. Let's get rolling on this week's episode. So on today's episode, I know this is one that you are super jazzed about because you are the historian of the two of us. And Uh we have Black Cat Cemetery Preservation joining us. And so they, right, so they do gravestones and monument conservation and restoration. And so they do everything from conducting archaeological surveys and mapping sites and evaluating heritage structures and landscapes. So this, Nikki, is an episode all for you. Mm, Love it. You know, I love that stuff. Yeah, I think that that's a very, I don't know, sacred and special and cool thing to do and go and restore historical grave markers Love it. and I'm gonna say it a lot of ghosts potentially like See? lurking in that industry yes I wonder Ooh. if they've ever had anything spooky happen I was just thinking that we're gonna have to oh that's exciting and for everybody I just want to give a disclaimer I'm sick so my voice sounds a little rough and a little raspy so that's what's happening that's okay <laughs> it's okay yeah We appreciate you showing up anyways. I showed up, yes. Mm -hmm. But I I lost my voice and it's coming back, so it's not great. But here I am. Here you are. that's what's up. And this is a good one. See, this is worth showing up for. For reals. Very excited. Because you know I love this type of stuff. Yeah, like how that is even her job. I love it. I think this is great. I'm excited. Perfect. Well, let's bring Robin on and let's learn more about what she does. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, awesome. Hello? Robin? Hi. Hey, it's Mariah. Hi, nice to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you too. And is here as well. Oh, hey, perfect. How's it going? Hey, nice to meet you. Well, thank you again to both of you for taking the time to chat with us. Nikki is super excited to talk to you guys. She is the one who kind of sought you guys out and she loves everything to do with history and cemeteries. But I'd love to understand kind of about cemetery preservation. What does that mean? Let's start there. 
Sure. Um, so I'm Robin Lacey. I'm the co-director of Black Cat Cemetery Preservation, and I'm also doing my PhD right now in historic archaeology. Hi, I'm Ian Teddy. I'm the other co-director of Black Cat Cemetery Preservation, and I'm also doing my PhD in historical logging in Newfoundland. Yeah, so we're both archaeologists, and we started Black Cat Cemetery Preservation because we noticed that there was sort of a trend towards people wanting to do restoration in historic cemeteries, like repairing old gravestones, knowing how to take care of them in Newfoundland and Labrador, but there was no one here that was trained to do it. So we'd lived in the province for a bit and moved away. And then while we were away, we're just hearing that people wanted us to come back because I was being trained in doing this kind of work. So when we knew we were moving back to the province, we knew we wanted to be able to help the communities that were putting in a lot of effort to be able to restore and protect historic burial grounds in their towns and be the people available to do that for them. Okay, so just to clarify, so people that do your line of work, you have to be accredited or certified in some manner. It can't be a volunteer situation where I went out and was like, I'm going to scrub this headstone. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) So that's like a big, a big thing, because in some places you'll hear people wanting restoration people to have historic masonry training, which is very, very specialized. And it's something that doesn't exist in Canada outside of one tiny school in Ontario that nobody can afford. So (laughs) um, a lot of people that do gravestone restoration have been trained by people that were trained like a long time ago. And then we're sort of keeping up the practice. But in some provinces and probably some states, to work in the sites, you do need an archaeologist there that has a permit. But in other sites, you just need permission from the family members or from the site maintenance people to do cleaning. So it's, it's sort of a mixed bag. I usually just tell people if they're interested in cleaning someone's gravestone to make sure you have all the permissions lined up because you might not need a permit. How do you go about finding a headstone or a cemetery that you want to work at and restore? So at least for the last few years that we've been doing this, since we started in December 2020, we work on a contractual basis. And so people seek us out as much as we (laughs) encounter various sites where we're like, oh my God, this would be perfect. We rely on people to come to us just because the ethics of kind of seeking out a stone and being like, all right, this is the one, we're going to clean this. It comes with all sorts of permissions, kind of hoops to jump through in terms of just triple checking that everything's okay and the family might not want Mm-hmm. Uh, stone cleaned or preserved. There might not be any family left. The church might not want you to. It's it's a whole slew of potential what ifs. However, by letting people come to us, it's kind of we've already knocked a few of those permissions out mm-hmm. of the way since the people we'd be contacting anyway are the ones that have contacted us. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And so we work with everyone from full municipalities, historical societies, church boards, individuals, you name it, we've worked with them. And so honestly, most of the time, rather than us picking the stones, they're chosen for us to an extent. Why would a family not want you to restore it? A lot of the times it just comes down to money. The more complicated it is, the more it would cost. If we could do everything for free, totally would. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How much does it cost? Like ballpark? Usually about 150 an hour. So cleaning usually takes, if it's a regular monument, just like a typical gravestone tablet, no more than an hour. But if you have repairs and resetting it, if it's like fallen over, it could be up to three or four plus hours. Yeah. We like to quote clients on a stone by stone basis. For our larger projects, say like we were in Trinity earlier this year where we finished up about 188 stones, thereabouts. 
we just kind of did a blanket estimate. It's like, all right, we'll aim for about an hour per stone, knowing that some are going to take a few hours, while other ones might only take 15, 20 minutes. So it kind of all balances out. But when we're doing smaller projects, which is most of the time, we'll go out, take a look at the stone and kind of assess from there. But yeah, anywhere between 150 to three, 400 or gravestone, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in there. What's the oldest gravestone that you've done? Or, or cemetery, I should say. Yeah, so the, the site that Ian just mentioned, Trinity, is the first heritage district landscape that was registered in the province of Newfoundland. And it dates to at least the 18th century, but there definitely mm-hmm. were people there, like Europeans there earlier than that. So the oldest gravestone there that we cleaned and strained was... Uh, October 1744. Yeah. That's so neat. How did you get into this? Obviously, you loved archaeology. Theology. How did you get into this specifically? So my story of this is longer than Ian's. Um, <laughs> I did, when you do a archaeology undergraduate degree, they typically want you to do a field school, which is like you go out in the summer and you participate in an excavation for course credit. So I was in Alberta and I was like, I don't want to be in Alberta anymore because <laughs> Alberta is like our oh, Texas okay. and I did not want to stay there any longer than I have to. <laughs> so I did a field school in Ireland and on the Isle of Man. And in Ireland, we were surveying Irish cemeteries that were medieval period onwards. And oh. I was sitting in the rain, taking photos and recording gravestones. And I was just like, this is what I'm going to do forever, apparently. That's so awesome. Yes. All my research has been on burial grounds since then. Okay. And then, uh, for me, at least, I've been a professional archaeologist for, well, I guess, 12 years now, which is weird. I don't know where the time goes. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I kind of married into the interest, so to speak. <laughs> in historical cemeteries. And so uh, after she received her most recent training, which was when we were in London, Ontario for a bit, was that like 2018, 2019? That was pretty much around the same time that we had heard word that the need was growing for someone to come back to Newfoundland and kind of actually practice what she had learned. Mm-hmm. And so with that came the, oh, hey, we can be those people. We can start a business. And it's like, all right, well, I don't have a background in this. And so Robin showed me the ropes and now we're good to go. That's great. Yeah. Why was there such a big, where you live, why, uh, is it just because of like the weather and things were just getting deteriorated? Um, It's sort of an issue everywhere. Like anywhere you see a historic burial ground, especially ones that are very full of marble, marble is quite a soft stone it doesn't last very well outside basically anywhere it falls apart so it it definitely isn't helped that it's so salty and windy and damp here all the time okay i think a lot of through 2020 there was lots of trends on like tiktok and stuff of gravestone cleaning that you may have seen it was being popularized so people were starting to understand that that was something that could be done, I think. So what if you have a marker that is so deteriorated that you don't even know the name, the date? How do you find that out? Is that where the archaeology part comes in? It's mostly just the staring at it part. Okay. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you could guess that as the archaeology part. Sometimes if people want us to do research, like you can go into the burial ground records or church records for deaths in the area. But unless we're asked to do that for a client, we typically don't. We'll just clean it and record the inscription as best as we can see it. There are a lot of more scientific things you can do, like RT, RTE which is like a photographic process that helps bring out the shadows and indentations and stuff. There's also tips and tricks for when we're on site. You can kind of play around with either phone flashlights or raking light or honestly, even mirrors are a good one. Honestly, even Instagram filters. 
That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, not for the purpose of posting the photos, but even just with the added editing tools from contrast to saturation. And so, I mean, it's not going to be perfect, <laughs> but there are definitely cases where it'll uh, pull the text out of what looks to be something totally illegible. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. I would feel like I would need to know the backstory of the grave that I'm doing. Do you just clean it and you don't want to know about how they died or who they were or anything like that? Do you get curious, I guess, is my question. <laughs> it's like half and half. Sometimes we're working on a site where there's just too many gravestones to look into all of them. But if it's just one and it's a family member or something of a client and they'll come to the site with us sometimes and tell us about that person. Love it. Yeah. There was a fellow that we helped restore his three greats grandfather's stone and he brought a photo of his family member and his wife to the site so we got to see his face while we were fixing the grave which is something that never happens <laughs> right that's so interesting to me I love <laughs> ancestry and I love history and I love all that type of stuff so I would need to know what happened and even when I've gone to you know friends of the family's funerals and you're walking around and I'm always like okay how old were they and then I'm like doing math in my head I don't know why it's just a weird thing that is I love that <laughs> I don't know. I, they always think of that. I don't know why. It's weird. But I feel like a lot of people do that. <laughs> Definitely. It's something similar with uh, historical archaeology, at least personally. It's why I focus on it as opposed to pre-contact. Because you're actually able to kind of connect an object. And I mean, the object in this case is a headstone, but you actually get to connect it with, it's a person. It's not just a thing. It's not just an item, whatever. You get to see the actual personal connection there, which is pretty cool. And like a bit more detail than like yeah. free documentary. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Do you have headstones where there's no names and it's just the dates or an unmarked grave? Yeah. So in Newfoundland, and I'm sure in lots of other places where there's lots of population that is more remote or doesn't have as good of financial Newfoundland is historically quite a poor area. There's a lot of these things called field stones, which are just stones plowed out of the field is where the name comes from. They could just be a stone from anywhere, and they typically don't have any inscriptions on them, and they're kind of roughly shaped into a curve for the gravestone. They're really small, and they just put them in the place of the headstone if they couldn't afford to get a headstone or if there was no one nearby that would carve it. So they're everywhere. And part of my PhD, I recorded only the field stones to take a look at the distribution of them. And I think we recorded over 200. Wow. <laughs> How do gravestones change from the 17th, 18th century to now? Are they are they the same material, like marble? Yeah, so marble started being popularized in the 19th century, so the 1800s. In our region, it didn't start being popularized until people imported it from the States in, I want to say, the 1830s was when they started doing that. So before that, for Newfoundland, we see locally carved slate in the 17th century. And there's only a couple examples of that, um, two, <laughs> there's two examples um, that were carved from local slate. And then we also have Basque gravestones from the 17th century, which was like from Basque country in Spain and France. And they think that those were carved overseas and brought over. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, which is a That's lot of work. Yes, definitely. In the 18th century, there was nobody here that carved gravestones professionally. So they would be 
ordering them from Ireland and different parts of England, and those ones were made of limestone. So we have a lot of limestone from that period. And then when they started carving them here, it was all sandstone that was, I think, local or imported marble. So you can see like distinct periods of different material types, and that's sort of reflected everywhere, but not with the same materials. <laughs> yeah, but slightly different. Uh, yeah. Depending on what region you're looking at, mm-hmm. like some places kind of got into marble a little bit later. Basically, overall, the timelines get just kind of different. Uh, most markers today are made of granite, just because it's cheap, it's durable compared to marble, where I mean, they only kind of chose marble not only for its availability, but because it was soft, made it really easy to carve. Because it's pretty. And because it's pretty, but obviously it doesn't last very it don't, well. Don't get your gravestones made of marble. It's terrible. Yep. But with granite, you can kind of, I think everything's done more or less with laser carving or laser cutting nowadays. Mm-hmm. But uh, you put onto or into the stone, it's, there's a solid chance it's going to be there for several centuries. I mean, that's why we have all these beautiful statues and carvings from Egypt is because primarily they were using granite. Yeah. which is quite terrible. Limestone, I would assume, that is that the fastest to deteriorate or marble is? I would say marble is. So limestone is the precursor to marble in the geologic processes. Marble went through metamorphism and from limestone. So they're made of very similar things. But for some reason, at least here, the limestone seems to last a little bit better. In Ireland, it deteriorates a little bit faster but it's from different sources so it's all different different like makeup okay yeah I was thinking of limestone because I went to the catacombs in Paris and I want to say it was limestone I don't know it was like the drippy that's what I was thinking of when you said limestone I'm like kind of like the catacombs (laughs) there's so many different kinds of every type of stone in Malta they have like two specific limestones and one is very hard and the other one is very soft and you get these burial chambers carved into the very soft ones specifically because they couldn't do it otherwise. That's interesting. I love stuff like this. What are the actual steps of cleaning tombstones? Could you kind of walk us through the process actually? Yeah. So if we're picturing just your standard round-topped little gravestone, we'll say it's a marble one because they need the most cleaning. The first conservation step would be to take photos of it and document the state it's in before you touch it. And that is standard with any type of conservation. You want to make sure you know what happened to it once you're done with it so that future people can be like, oh, this was the treatment used. So then if it was leaning and also needed to be cleaned, we would probably dig it out of the ground first and reset its foundation. We don't use any concrete. That used to be a very common thing for resetting gravestones was to put them in concrete, but it is harder than the marble and it makes water collect in the marble and then that creates a softer stone It breaks again. So we would reset it to standing using gravel and everything so it has some nice drainage and then mostly you just clean it with water so we just spray bottle some water on there and then use a soft brush something made of natural fibers you can get them at like stores and stuff but like a natural fiber brush that's soft is the best option or like a very soft plastic bristle brush but nothing like too abrasive or metal or anything and then you just sort of Scrub at it. Make sure you're getting a lot of the dirt off. We don't recommend scrubbing too hard because some of it's in the stone, so you can't really get that off. We just do a couple passes. And then we use a non-ionic pH-neutral biological cleaner. The brand we use is called D2. And you can use it by itself or with water or whatever. I typically do 50-50 water in D2 in a spray bottle. 
And it's a cleaner that doesn't add any salts or acids to a stone. If you use dish soap on a gravestone, it's depositing salt into the gravestone, which can then expand inside of it in the pores of the stone and break it. So really hard press people not to use soaps. But something like D2, you can just give it a bit of a scrub. It will turn the gravestone, if it's sunny out, a weird pinky orange color because it's reacting with the lichen and the biological growth on the stone. And then you just rinse it off. So basically the long short of it is documentation, spritz it down with water, front, back, side, stop the whole shebang, basically every exposed surface, further spritz it down with D2, get in there with some elbow grease, scrub it down, but obviously not too much, especially if it's actively deteriorating or breaking off pieces. So the D2 in the water will lather up, basically just kind of brush it down like you're brushing your teeth. And then once you're all done, or at least once you're satisfied with the amount of cleaning you've kind of put into it, just kind of rinse it down and then it'll dry naturally and then kind of good to go, honestly. Mm-hmm. The, the D2 is also really cool because it sits in the pores of the stone and sort of prevents plant growth on it for at least the next couple of years. So it provides this barrier, which is an interestingly non-toxic barrier, but it deters plants from growing on it. Once you preserve it and you've cleaned it and all that stuff, I mean, how many more years potentially before you have to clean it again? I would check it after a couple of years, but it should last for at least 10, barring like a tree falling on it or something. Okay. <laughs> Okay. How long do those steps take? Is this like over the course of like several weeks, a month? Like what determines the timeline? The cleaning process can take, if the stone's not too big, like 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. That's quick. How many of these historical cemeteries are where you live? Is there one or is there 10? From our house, we can see three, four. Yeah. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. yeah. So we're slightly outside of St. John's. St. John's is the capital. I mean, they call it a city, but honestly, it's it's like a small to medium-sized town. In America. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Being from the state myself, I'm from Connecticut. It's not a not a big place, but even so, just St. John's is like, what? I don't know. Like 100,000 people? Yeah, so like 100,000 people, but then cemetery-wise. Oh, there's at least three, four, three. <laughs> Basically... <laughs> There's several historic cemeteries and then uh, yeah, a combined total approximately of just the historical markers. It's in the thousands, honestly. Uh, we share a PhD supervisor and she said that her kids always tell her that they're pretty sure every road in Newfoundland leads to a graveyard. That's crazy. I'm picturing where you live like country sort of looking and like very scenic and I, I just picture it really pretty. We actually live on the end of a road that has a 200-year-old church at the top of it. And I can see gravestones now. It's great. That is so awesome. (laughs) It was a bonus when we moved in. It's lovely. So where we're at, there's no one across the street from us. It's literally the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, What? So it's... it's (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's pretty rugged. Sounds like you guys are uh, in a movie. Sounds like it sometimes, yeah, more or less. <laughs> I'm picturing like Anna Green Gables. Yeah, that's actually close by, province-wise. Yeah, pretty similar. So it's less country, I guess, and more if you picture kind of NorCal up by like Shasta. Oh, yeah. But then combine that with like a rugged coastline right there, too. Okay, like Monterey or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of like big. Yeah, no, my house doesn't look like that. (laughs) I can send you guys a picture of our view after if you want. I would love that. Mariah's house doesn't look like that either. Either, But she is a little more like country scenic than where I'm at. I'm just in California. (laughs) 
Lovely. It's boring. boring. (laughs) Is there a favorite project that you've done or one that stands out the most? Yeah. So this past summer, we were working with the Trinity Historical Society. I brought up Trinity like four times because it was amazing. But it's an 18th century registered heritage property. It's got this church on it that was the third church on the property. And the first one was in the early 1700s. And the Historical Society contacted us last year to do an assessment of every single gravestone on their property. And then our amazing fundraisers, and a couple months later, had enough funds raised from the community and from the people who were buried there for us to work on all of the gravestones. So we got to spend four weeks in, if you Google Trinity, Newfoundland, one of the most picturesque towns probably anywhere. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's fairy tale book. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Even thinking back on the memories of it, it's like, oh, we got to do that. That's wild. Yeah, that graveyard is like a site that people know here. Yeah. And we're like, oh yeah, all those gravestones, we did all of them. <laughs> That's amazing. It was so fun. I love that. Okay, this is one of my silly questions, I guess, because I was talking to Nikki about it before you guys joined us. But I just have to ask because with cemeteries, you know, you always feel like there's this element of kind of something spooky and eerie kind of happening. Have you guys ever experienced anything paranormal while doing your work? I haven't, but Ian, you have more of a sense for those things. Um, At least since we've been active as black cats, Cemetery preservation, uh, no. However, having grown up in like a severely haunted house in Connecticut, it's like I, oh God, it sounds stupid to say, but like you get like the energies and the presences and sometimes it kind of feels like there's somebody hanging out near you in the cemeteries, but haven't seen anything, haven't heard anything, at least nothing super concrete yet. No one's tapped you on the shoulder? <laughs> Not yet. No, I have to ask a quick question. What does severely haunted mean? Because now I'm picturing a ghost standing in front of you or something. <laughs> so basically everything from footsteps, objects getting thrown around, shadow what? figures, noises, disembodied voices. Yeah, the house, it was built in the 80s. So the land was used back, oh, I don't even know, from the 18th century. So it used to be like an orchard and there was a homestead near it. I also grew up right across the street from a cemetery. And so nothing really happened in the house that would have caused all this. But for whatever reason, it really got focused. Maybe on the land. Yeah, honestly. So, yeah, I can't identify a single cause for all this stuff. But yeah, there were multiple spirits that we got to know over time. Like I said, it sounds stupid. But having dealt with it for 15 years, you kind of like, okay, so there's probably spirits A through (laughs) F because there are multiple ones. You can pick out the personalities just overall the vibe of you. Does your family still live there? No, they actually just moved to Arizona a few months ago. But <laughs> you didn't tell the new people that it was haunted? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh, Connecticut's not one of those states where you have to do, uh, disclose it. And so honestly, most of the activity was my brother and I dealing with it. My mom's less skeptical, but my dad was just like, oh, there's nothing there. But your mom like heard stuff too. Yeah, my mom heard stuff too. But yeah, overall, uh, when it came time to sell the house, My brother and I have already kind of been moved out for a while now. Okay, but I mean, growing up like that and seeing all that, that didn't spook you out and deter you from hanging out in cemeteries? No, I mean, honestly, it's (laughs) because I grew up across the street from one as well. I used to walk my family dog in the cemetery every day just because it was right there and a nice, easy walking route. And so maybe it's just being acclimatized for so long. At this point, it just doesn't really factor in. It's just normal. It's every day. (laughs) Yeah. I picture your house across the street, maybe at a hocus pocus or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that would have been adorable. <laughs> this is like so fascinating and such a cool thing to get into. And it's amazing that you guys found each other and you started this business. It, it's so impressive and amazing. Thank you. <laughs> it wasn't it's like so we ever like that out to do in the beginning, but it's just kind of all fallen into place at the right times. And mm-hmm. That's how it always happens. That's how the best yeah. things happen. It just kind of falls into place. I spend all my research time looking at graveyards, so it would inevitably be my job at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. It was meant to be. Definitely. Well, we won't take up too much of your time because I, I want to be conscious of that. We will let you go and enjoy the rest of your, your day. And thank you again for taking the time to, to chat with us and answer our random and curious questions yes thank you so much i was so excited for you guys i'm like oh we can find out about cemetery cleaning <laughs> Love it. awesome thank you guys awesome thanks thank you so do you like it you like a little history lesson i mean i think that they're like the most adorable little couple but aside from them just being ridiculously cute and sweet i think what they do is really cool. I like it. I knew you would. Yeah. This is like so you. Yeah. This was for you. <laughs> like the history and digging into the graves. I guess I have to say I would be far more curious than they are just because I would be down that rabbit hole figuring out who Grandpa Fred was from 1653. And what was it? Tuberculosis? Was it? Yeah. I want to know. Yeah. I got to know. So I think that's the only difference I can see. If I were going to come and join the team at Black Cat, I feel like I'd be like, hey guys, I'm going to need another 10 to 12 days to research this before I get going. <laughs> Have a little portfolio. I do like that. Yes. That that family brought pictures of the grandpa and the mm-hmm. whole bit. I do like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is sweet. I do. I do like that. Exactly. Well, they were fantastic. And you know, I love a good history lesson and a little preservation stuff. This is everything you love wrapped into one. Exactly. Maybe this is what you should, you should do on the, you know, on the side. Uh, unfortunately, you're going to have to be an archaeologist, so you can't volunteer. So maybe, you know, I don't know, next lifetime. Oh yeah, that's right. I can't. You can't just join the team. I could be a supervisor. There you go. Maybe you could be the research analyst and you could research the family. Yeah, I'll do that. I like that. There you go. You don't actually have to do the scrubbing. You can just do the deep dive. There you go. Okay. Well, there you go. Robin, Ian, if you need some people, (laughs) you let Nikki know. Exactly. Well, that was fun. That was great. Okay. Well, until next week. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to burial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. <laughs>